Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We're going to start in just a moment. But we before we do, um, please go ahead and, and fill out those two quick questions in the survey before you. Thanks. And, and stay tuned. We're going to start in just a moment. All right, let's go ahead and get going. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. My name is Karen Cherry. I'm one of the curators at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. And it's my honor tonight to um, uh, moderate this program called Activism from Home 101. This is one of the many virtual programs that the museum is offering while we're closed um, because of the coronavirus and also for a big construction project. But even though our building is closed, you can still engage with us online. Um, so please go to our website, virginiahistory.org to find access to all kinds of programs, um, not just tonight's programs, but lectures and movie myth busting and behind the scenes tours and so forth. Uh, I also wanna thank you all for joining us. Um, uh, the museum is a nonprofit institution, so we very much depend upon the support of you, um, our members, and others who engage with us and participate in our program. So thank you very much for your interest in what we're doing, your engagement with us, and for your support. Now for tonight's program, I'm especially excited to um, uh, have this conversation with you all and a distinguished body of panelists. Um, this is a program, Activism from Home 101, uh, which grew out of some of the museum's activities surrounding the women's suffrage centennial last year. Um, during that program, um, uh, that slate of programs, the museum had the opportunity to meet a lot of extraordinary change makers and to think about the various ways in which people have been advocating for change, um, both historically and today. Um, and indeed, history is all about change, and it's, it's change that often makes history. So um, we're living in historic times and it seemed like an opportune moment to bring together um, a group of you and um, panelists to talk about how advocacy work, how making change um, has changed in, in the world we're living in now when many of us are, are working from home um, and dealing with the effects of um, of the coronavirus and its its larger impact on our lives. 
Um, and so um, I hope I, I'm assuming that you all share that that interest in well and thinking about how to change, um, how to adapt your advocacy work, uh, whether you're just getting started, whether you're a seasoned activist, how to adapt your work to the current times we live in. Um, so we're going to explore that topic in tonight's program. We're going to explore it with three extraordinary change makers who um, you might recognize if you got a chance to see the museum's Today's Agents of Change program, where we featured the dynamism and diversity of female activism across the Commonwealth. And these three women um, were involved in that project. I'm going to introduce them briefly and then turn it over to them to um, give some of their opening remarks. And I'm going to go in alphabetical order. So first, uh, I'd like to welcome Katie Horning. Um, Katie's from Chesterfield County, and she recently co-founded the National Women's Political Caucus of Virginia, which works to advocate for women across the Commonwealth and also Vote Equality US, uh, which is devoted to ensuring that the Equal Rights Amendment, the 28th Amendment, gets enshrined in the US Constitution. Now, Vote Equality US, it evolved out of VA Ratify ERA, um, a group of which Katie was the campaign coordinator for the state. And maybe you saw her on one of the ice cream for equality trucks that <laughs> was traveling around the Commonwealth. Um, VA Ratify ERA was a statewide nonpartisan grassroots organization that worked to get Virginia to ratify the ERA last year in 2020. And Virginia was the final state needed um, for official uh, ratification. Um, so Katie is our first panelist. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Our second panelist is Claudette Monroe, Monroy Johnson. Claudette uh, is originally from Torreon, Mexico, and she immigrated to the U.S. with her mother and younger sister when she was a teenager. Uh, Claudette received protection from deportation. She also got employment authorization through the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the, the DACA program. And um, she has been passionately committed to supporting immigrant students and families, particularly those um, in, in need and, and low-income uh, people. She advocates for young dreamers and the undocumented community by sharing her own story and also by educating American citizens about the complex issues surrounding immigration in this country. So welcome, Claudette. Delighted you, to have you with us. And uh, our third panelist is Angela Patton, um, based here in Richmond. Angela is the CEO of Girls for a Change, an organization that's devoted to empowering young girls, particularly girls of color and other marginalized and, and underrepresented girls. Um, girls for a Change empowers them um, to uh, tap their full potential. Um, and through her work with Girls for a Change and um, other activities, Angela has been recognized as one of the top 40 under 40 by Virginia Style Weekly. That was in 2015. In 2016, President Obama recognized Angela as a White House champion of change. Um, that's for after school programming for girls of color that she did. Um, and also um, her organization, Girls for a Change, was recognized in 2018 as nonprofit of the year. And um, Angela in 2019, the following year, was nominated by the Richmond Times Dispatch as one of their people of the year. So welcome, Angela. Thank you for having me today. Delighted. So um, 
we're going to now spend a few minutes by letting our panelists tell us a little bit about their own activism journey, when they got started, how they got involved in active uh, advocacy work, and what some of their the, the key moments of their advocacy career has been. And um, uh, just to be as democratic as possible, I guess I'll stick with alphabetical order and Katie ask you to go first. Great, um, thanks for having all of us. Um, I think for me, the word activism, given my family of origin and, and uh, like just the extreme conservatism of the environment in which I grew up in, activist was not a positive word. And so <laughs> it's taken me a while to kind of embrace it, but whether you wanna call yourself an advocate, a problem solver, an activist, it doesn't matter, you're doing the same thing, you're making change. Um, and for me, my journey, I think I've kind of always been on the journey. I just um, didn't really call it activism, again, from the family of origin. Um, and so like, I can look back on little things in my childhood. I was always about, you know, hey, let's play soccer in my front yard. And I'd call 10 friends and we'd play a game. Like you're always organizing. Um, and then, you know, oh, there's a, a kid that lives just two blocks away and their family doesn't have uh, winter jackets and I was in North Dakota and that's a huge deal. So I start asking my friends and their parents if we can all put our money together and get them some not only winter jackets, but also just some, um, you know, gift cards so they can get other things they need. Um, so I think that I've always been kind of on the lookout for see a problem, solve a problem. Um, and it kind of all came about, um, I, I think that my, probably my activism journey, the thing I'm the most known for now is kind of helping to deliver the 38th state, um, which was a huge deal. And it was not a thing I set out to do, um, but I got tapped to do it. Somebody was like, you, I think you're fearless. You should do this. And I was like, me? Like, I'm just a mom. Um, but on that journey to the moment of being tapped to do that, I was there for my kid. My kid said, have we fixed the constitution? Cause Thomas Jefferson didn't even mean all men and we know he didn't mean women. Have we fixed that yet? And so it was really um, trying to fix a problem that my child was bringing to me and not necessarily a thing that I was, it was my burning passion at the moment. It has reawakened my inner feminist. And I think I'm becoming more and more radicalized because I now I'm having conversations that are like, who's willing to get arrested? And I never would have had that conversation a few years ago. Um, so it's, you know, it, it is a journey. Um, it takes a lot of different skills, but there's also a spot for every single person. And I think at different times of my life, I've been in different spots. And so I guess that is the one thing I would throw out to everybody is think of it as, you know, advocacy, activism, problem solving, it doesn't matter, but there's a spot for you to help make change. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Um, Claudette, how about you and your, your journey, thank you. your remarks? Yes, thank you. Um, uh, my name yeah, is Claudia Monroy, and I'm really grateful that I uh, get to be part of this amazing panel. Uh, my adv advocacy journey started when I was 17, and it was through self-advocating for my own education. Uh, back then, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I knew something felt wrong, and I had to take action. Uh, now I know that I was getting caught in the system. So I had transferred schools from Fairfax High to Harrisonburg. When I enrolled, I felt that the process the school system had in place was trying to push me to take some steps back in my own education. Um, I had successfully completed the ESL program uh, in two years at Fairfax High School. Um, I don't think people working at you know, HHS had bad intentions, but they tried to put me back in the ESL program uh, because I had never seen someone uh, complete uh, the ESL from beginner to advanced in two years. So I was told that their average student uh, completes the program in six years. Um, and so they also told me they were like, something must be wrong, like either with your transcripts, your test scores, or also maybe something was wrong with the ESL program. Um, thankfully, uh, somehow I knew that I should speak up and fight to be in the classes that I wanted to be. Uh, something in me told me that I was wrong and the decisions were, were being made about my future and my education based on the, it was based on the fact that I was an immigrant and I had just recently arrived to the United States. I had to do things like sit outside of my counselor's office for days and days. I never missed a class, but I sat outside of her office 
in the morning before classes started, during my lunch break, and also after school until my counselor, my counselor finally agreed to see me. And I had to convince her, like I had put this like case of like why I deserve to be placed in classes for an advanced diploma. And my, I just like had my eyes set on, I wanted to go to college. Um, and I shared this story to highlight that, you know, this happens to thousands of students, immigrant students and uh, students of color every day. Um, I also, in 2006, I also began to do uh, public speaking events for the DREAM Act. Back then, no one knew what it was. Um, that was also during a time that I still very um, ashamed of being an undocumented student. I was like really embarrassed if my friends found out, you know, because there is all this like stigma. It's not like, you know, people like now they're like, there's more awareness. Um, but also like all of the public speaking events that I, I, I was doing, it was like uh, places where I felt safe. So at churches or at school um, or universities. Um, and I will forever be grateful for my friend Isabel Castillo, a dreamer and activist from Mexico who also lives in Virginia and she does amazing work, uh, who invited me to join her and to leave like fear behind. Uh, it was in those five years that I found my voice, my worth, I stopped feeling ashamed of my status. I began to see myself as a strong and resilient woman who overcame challenges that some people will never face or have never faced um, in their lifetime. Um, I grew in my boldness to share my story at large events and to tune out negative voices when I encountered them. My advocacy work is deeply embedded in wanting to serve and empower students and families from marginalized communities, especially immigrants. My deepest desire is that these families and students are treated with dignity and that they have access to the same resources as any other family. Key moments in my advocacy journey and that continues to fuel my passions is in my uh, everyday work. When I'm able to impact students or a family to teach them to self-advocate and find their own voice and to start seeing themselves for their own humanity. Every week I hear stories similar to the one I share about my, about my own journey uh, of students and parents encountering systematic oppression and getting caught in bad policies. I love building strong connections with these families and these students and showing them how to stand up for themselves. There are times when I feel like I need to, you know, publicly share my story like tonight. Um, and also I've been really lucky that, you know, my, my story and my work has been elevated to um, in, on different media platforms like the Washington Post. Um, but also to be completely honest is that I'm terrified of public speaking. And um, like even tonight, I had, you know, I always have to write something because I get pretty nervous, uh, but I push myself to do it. Um, and also, you know, when I, I do public speaking events, um, like it's like an intentional choice for me uh, to engage in this type of advocacy. And it's because I want to highlight the human aspect of immigration and to put a face to something that, you know, sometimes people just read the news. Um, and I also want to fight, um, when I made like those decisions to put my story like really out there was because I wanted to fight against very oppressive and damaging policies, especially with the previous uh, administration. I also, when I made the decision to do the Washington Post, it was an article and a video. Um, you know, I did it because I wanted to protect my community and to fight back because I was not going to be forced back into the shadow of deportation. I was not going to let negative rhetoric and labels strip me, strip me and my community from our dignity. At that point, I also realized that I had some privilege that I had obtained through a series of events and I could use this privilege to put myself out there and take risk. Uh, some of those things that I, you know, helped me, you know, that I feel like I had this privilege was that I could speak English. I had graduated with an undergrad degree. I was enrolled at a large private uh, university in DC uh, in my master's degree. Um, I also had saved money in case I got deported that, you know, I could start, I had some savings that I could, could help me in Mexico. And I also had a large network of friends and colleagues and other advocates that I knew 
if I got arrested or um, you know got booked for uh, deportation proceedings, that I knew people would like come out and like advocate for me. Um, so it was like a very calculated um, move for me to use my that privilege of you know use it as a tool to be able to stand against like really really oppressive things that were happening. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about how this last year uh, has been, you know, very challenging and what I went through. But, um, you know, like in the spring, I felt so paralyzed. I felt overwhelmed with the pandemic and also all the racial injustices happening to the Black community and also the separation of families at the border. I also went through a lot of personal challenges uh, in the span of, you know, three months from when the pandemic started. I was supposed, you know, my uh, fiance and I at the time had to cancel our wedding. We still like got, you know, married, but then he was like, couldn't work for two months. And then his dad got uh, diagnosed with cancer. And that happened in that same span of like from March to May. So during that time, I just took the time to like feel my feelings and just um, like assess, like take care of my, you know, mental health and my well being. And then once those paralyzing feelings start to drift up because I was, you know, doing the work of processing and uh, feeling. Um, so I, I like kind of asked myself, like, what do I have the capacity to do? And, you know, I may, you know, I could say like, okay, I'm gonna mobilize resources for immigrant families. Uh, I'm gonna connect them to critical information. And then also I'm very grateful that uh, in 2020, I got, you know, what I say, like, is my dream job. I get to work in community engagement at a large uh, school district. And I have an amazing team that, you know, when I try to elevate voices of uh, immigrant families or marginalized communities, they, they really listen to me and we're trying to do the work of supporting them. Thank you, Claudette, for, for sharing a very moving and personal story with us. Um, I want to turn the mic, so to speak, over to Angela now to, to hear a little bit about her advocacy journal, journey, excuse me. Yes, thank Angela. you. And I'd like to say first, thank you, Katie and Claudette for sharing your journey and for your service. And so again, um, greetings everyone. I'm Angela Patton. I'm the founder of Camp Diva and the CEO of Girls for a Change. And um, we, we have a long, programs, I'm going to make it quick. So what motivated me is uh, two things. One is I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, period. I saw things happening in my community. I saw things happening outside of my community. And my first step was just to always be in these conversations about it, but I never saw anything changing. And so I knew immediately that some action needed to be, you know, behind these conversations that I was a part of. There were in small groups. Um, a lot of times they were women, they were black people, and we were angry. We were upset. We were discouraged and disappointed, but we would always come together to talk about it, but we weren't really doing anything about it. And then the second part is I received a calling about working with girls. So in those conversations, it was everything that you all are hearing today that were oppressing black people from, you know, home ownership, you know, the workforce, you name it, America has done it to us. But I decided to narrow down this one space and it was black girls. And it was really a calling. And I, and that is, that's when you don't really know, but when you receive it, you know your purpose. And I am just aware of why I'm here on this planet is to advance opportunities for black girls because too many people and too long, they have been left out and set back and face extreme barriers. And so I put myself in that space from that calling and I have been in it for 17 years. So that's pretty much kind of like how I got in it. <laughs> Thank you, 
sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's <laughs> um, great inspirational quote there. Well, thank you all panelists for, for introducing yourselves to our participant, <clears throat> excuse me, before um, we have a short conversation among the panelists, I just want to give our participants a, a couple of instructions, a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, first of all, if you have any questions for the panelists at, at any time during the program, you can go ahead and start entering them. Please use the Q&A box for the questions. And when we turn to the uh, Q&A portion of the evening, we'll be drawing questions from there. That said, um, you might also want to keep an eye on the chat box because we've asked you all to uh, complete the survey. And if you haven't, if you didn't do it when you signed on, it'll pop up again um, later in the program. Um, uh, you're, you're welcome to list your advocacy interests and causes in the chat box. We're also um, at certain points in the program going to put a prompt, a kind of um, ask you to, to take a pledge to say what your next step is going to be. We hope tonight's program inspires you to commit to doing some kind of work for change. And we're going to ask you about what that step is. And so that pledge, that step you can put in the chat. But any questions for the panelists, please put in the Q&A box. All right, so turning to um, a, a conversation with the panelists, um, Angela, I have a question for you. I'd love to hear you address. I think for many of us, um, you know, we recognize the slow pace of change, also the um, magnitude, the scope of some of the problems facing our communities, and and the the hugeness of that can be very paralyzing. It can make it feel hard um, for us to recognize uh, or to feel that we can make an individual difference. Could you talk a little bit about how to confront this sense of feeling overwhelmed um, and what are some ways for getting or staying involved in making a change? Yes. So I think all of us have been there and done that. <laughs> that is not anything new. But um, what I will share this evening are just tips that have worked for me, you know, and I don't think that it's one answer to that question, right? But I know that um, when I received that calling to do this work, you don't know what it all entails at first, right? And so I actually started out with just like, really just like, I'm just gonna work with girls. And then someone actually told me that that was a nonprofit organization. Right? I didn't know that I was starting a nonprofit. It was just doing the work I was called to do. But whether I was going to be a community organizer without um, the 501c3, and then when I decided to apply for my 501c3, both of them needed a village. No matter which direction I chose to um move this initiative i needed to surround myself with people who were like-minded and people who were not they were you know it wasn't that everyone was going to agree with me with everything because i needed the infrastructure i needed new resources i wanted to create a system change i didn't want to polish black girls i didn't want to fix them I knew that the root of the issue was something that happened 400 years ago, and that meant that this work couldn't be done alone. And so I started out with my family and my friends. And one of the things I loved about starting that way, they would always remind you when it was time to rest. They will always remind you of other people that were around me that had resources or even skills that I didn't have to move the initiative forward. And that is how I have been able to stay in it, just really surrounding myself with a really positive village. And then also trying to find new ways to make it easier, right? That's also, you know, great too. When I started out, I think I just got like a, a Yahoo email, right? <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, you know, ways of sharing how to copy and paste. So I'm always willing to 
um, increase my tech skills, increase my knowledge to make the work easier because the goal is to create change. And that doesn't mean just within your community, that means also within yourself so that you can see the results without being so overwhelmed. Because a lot of times when you embrace new things, it can become easier and less overwhelming. So those are some tips that have worked for me. Okay, thanks. Um, Katie or Claudette, anything you wanna add? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm somebody that, you know, like I was sharing, I feel paralyzed sometimes, mm -hmm. but I try to like think, you know, it's like, what is one thing I can do this month or this week? And that helps me just, you know, I also like, we have to honor our bodies. And if we feel paralyzed for some reason, it's like to honor what we're going through. Um, but I think, you know, it's like, if it, for me, like I can start seeing like, oh, if I'm in this paralyzed, you know, mindset for a long time, that's not good either. So that helps me to be like, okay, what is one thing I can do? And that always helps me. Yeah, break it, break it into small manageable bits. Um, all right, well, let's um, turn to another question for the panel. And I'd like to direct this one to Katie. Um, could you talk a little bit Katie, about how one can find your find your lane, how you can find your lane as, as an advocate. Um, what are some of the strategies or questions you ask yourself in identifying the the type of advocacy work you'd like to do, and how you can apply your skills? So I would say, in general, um, to always move towards things that energize you, that motivate you. Angela, I totally, um, I, I really identified with the calling. Like, I didn't know this was my calling, but this was my calling. Um, it kind of like I got tapped, called, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it brings great joy when you feel that you are doing something purposeful and meaningful and making a change that you want to see in the world. That is a source of joy. Um, and to Angela's comment about the village, always find your your people like like when you when you take on a, a a task or when you take on a particular issue the other people who are just as motivated to help in that area you're going to connect with them in a way that you don't connect with like even people you enjoy but you don't have that deep soulful connection um the work that i've been doing on gender equality in the constitution my husband was like you have had a lot of friends over the years this is your set of like sisters. And so that kind of, you know, deep connection with the people because of what you're sharing, because of the work that you're doing, um, looking at your skill sets, what can you bring to the table? There is a spot for everybody. Um, if you're an introvert, cherish the fact that you're an introvert. If you're an extrovert, cherish the fact that you're an extrovert. There's no right way to make change other than to work with what you have, what you what brings you joy and work with the people around you. So, I, you know, I would just encourage people to really, you know, take a little skill set questionnaire, figure out what you bring to the table. You know, we could we all have lots of different things we can do. What of those things actually makes you happy um, and, and, and keep yourself in that space. You know, when I have a new volunteer that shows up and is like, I really care about this issue. Where should I plug in? My question is always, well, what's going to make you the happiest? Like, I want a happy volunteer because a happy volunteer is going to not necessarily burn out as fast because they're interested in what they're doing. They're going to be, you know, just more proactive. They're going to be more engaged. And so for anybody that's on the journey, you know, do that little questionnaire in your own head. What do I enjoy doing? Who do I enjoy doing it with? What are the things that I really want to get involved in that are going to bring me that inner joy? Um, it can be a slog to make change. I mean, there's definitely a slog component to making change, but if you're doing it with people that you love and if you're doing it in ways that bring you joy, um, you know, we kind of joke in our in our group, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that people see, see us as just the angry feminists. And although there is a burning anger of the injustice on some level that, that keeps people motivated, um, you, we still want to be doing things that are fun, that are moving us forward, that are bringing us joy, and that are really the expression of what we want the society to be around us. 
Um, and so when we kind of move in that way and in that space, it invites other people to join. Um, and we just, you know, just keep inviting, keep making the table bigger, always invite, always build a deep bench and always keep making that table bigger. I love that image. And um, in a way, we're kind of coming a little bit full circle uh, in this conversation. Um, you know, we started uh, by me asking Angela about sort of tackling the feeling of maybe paralyzation that comes from feeling overwhelmed. Um, Katie reminded us to find our joy, you know, to do what makes us happy. Um, but of course, we're all doing this in extraordinarily stressful times um, under uh, the pandemic and the events of the past year. Um, so because this is a session devoted from to working from home and thinking about strategies for advocacy from working at home, I'd like to address that. And Claudette, you've, you've given a nod to this a couple of times, but I wonder if you could maybe wrap up this portion of the conversation with um, a, a brief comment on some of the advice you have for self-care um, during these incredibly stressful times. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of, you know, the most important is that you have to take care of your own self, like no one's gonna do that for you. So like for me, it's like realizing like, I need to go on daily walks and be connected yeah, to the people I love and just kind of staying grounded. Like I practice a lot of like meditation and praying, um, you know, because for me, it's like advocacy is like an ongoing thing, you know, and like, um, even in some of the, the resources that we're sharing later, later, for me, advocacy is like speaking up when something is wrong or someone is being treated unfairly. And that can happen at the grocery store, at your kid's school. So it's just like if you're in a healthy, grounded place, you have like kind of eyes, you know, to see the inequities that are happening. And also you're in a good place to like do something. But also like I always tell people like, Practice like self-reflection, listen to your body um, because we're also like going through like collective trauma or, you know, something of like being isolated and social distance and losing so many people to COVID. Um, so that's why like I say, like, take care of yourself. And um, also with advocacy, like for me, like half of my life, you know, I'll, I'll be turning 34 in March. And so I started when I was 17 and, you know, advocacy, like it shifts all the time. So I have to ask myself, like when I was doing a lot of public speaking, I just at the end, like after, you know, a couple of months, I was like, I can't do this. Um, I have to take a break. Um, but, you know, anytime somebody approached me and said, can you do this event? I'll be like, no, I, I you know, had to put the boundary of like, no, I'm taking care of myself. But here are other three dreamers that are amazing why don't you invite one of them? And so that's what, you know, Katie was mentioning of like, bring other people with you, elevate other people's voices. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only dreamer, you know, that lives in Virginia, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so it's, it's important to take care of ourselves so that we can continue the work. Even if it's like small gestures, like for me, it's like, that's where change is happening in our communities, like daily fighting, like daily advocating. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, I want to give our participants plenty of opportunity to ask these panelists some questions. So please, participants, um, go ahead and um, enter your questions into the Q&A section, and I will throw them out uh, to our panelists. I'm acting as, as moderator this evening. So um, we have a um, first question from Eva. Um, through, and I'm gonna just read it out loud, through policy and laws, though policy and laws are in place, it has no meaning if there is no accountability. How do you hold someone to a policy or law when the power and decision makers do not include you or do not include those who are impacted by their decisions? Can I start with that a little bit? Sure, please. So I definitely understand that question. Um, and because we can't always depend on those who have the power to invite us, that's when your real activism show up. You invite yourself. 
You invite yourself. So I'm going to give you an example of that. So there are many times when, you know, the school board, you know, and all the, you know, committees and all, they're making decisions about young people and how they want them to show up at school, whether it's their clothes, their hair, whatever they're trying to tell the young people to do. And because one of our programs is um, really focused on social change, we have made it possible for our girls to not be invited and, and, and have a seat at the table, but have a voice and be included. And I will say really pushing for that, for black girls, we have been really fortunate to be invited by council persons, by our delegates and senators to have conversations with our young people and also for them to read the policy and to be able to give feedback on that. So we are teaching them early to what it means for a law to be made beyond what School Rock House did for you. It's about the girls being in the room and seeing how change happens. But it has taught us a lot too, because this is not something that I was exposed to. But now being able to connect with the right people, to invite yourself and making sure that you show up. And showing up means not just getting the email and then deciding that now you just don't want another virtual call. Because some of these policies that were on the table around dress code for our girls had to go virtual. And we made sure that our girls were showing up for that to the point where we got permission slips for them to miss a virtual class because their voices were important of, of, about a decision that they were going to make for them. So I just want to let you know, don't always wait for permission. Find out who is leading something in your community and reach out to them and demand that you want to be invited. And that's how you disrupt and dismantle the system when you're feeling like you're not being heard. Your, these politicians are working for us. And so be okay with asking for a meeting and finding out who, if you don't know who knows the mayor, find out who does. Most likely, you know someone who is closer than you and you work that angle to get that meeting with your mayor, with your governor or whomever else you may need to talk to who has the power to create change. But it should not be where you ever feel powerless. That is, an, that is something I've learned along the way of me wanting to change systems that were impacting black girls, I had to make sure they were at that table. Katie, I see you nodding your head. You want to jump in with? Some? I don't think there is anything to add to that other than to say, <laughs> bravo, yes, 100%. <laughs> um, all right, well, participants, please uh, go ahead and enter additional questions you have um, in the in the Q&A box. Um, uh, another question I'd like to throw out to the panel. Um, uh, social media can be an effective tool for advocacy work, um, especially in an era of social distancing, uh, but it can also sometimes be a substitution or a distraction or even a deterrent to actual action. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the pros and cons of social media and how to avoid some of the, the pitfalls of it. Uh, yeah, I can answer from my own perspective, uh, my own experience, you know, like I was saying is like always think of, you know, social media or like different things as tools. Um, just like be strategic about it. Um, you know, I, I think for me when I was feeling paralyzed I fell into the trap last year of just like retweeting or reposting without, it was not, you know, like I had to ask myself, like, is this really helping a cause? And I realized for me, it was like an instant gratification of feeling like I was doing something. Um, and then I had to step back and be like, okay, before you repost or share something, ask yourself, like take five minutes and ask yourself questions like, you know, is this helpful? Who whose voice I'm elevating? And also, I I, I hold myself accountable. Like, if I'm gonna repost or share something, and I'm putting it out in the world, 
is not just to do that, but like I am committing myself to follow through with other actions. So it's either learning more about it, um, donating money or like uh, volunteering. Um, and I know it can be overwhelming, but you know, with social media, we have seen cases where, you know, like the, you know, when we all were like posting that black square and like the hashtag black lives matter, like that was more, um, it was it, it like prevented like the movement from, you know, they were trying to like communicate and use the hashtag. And then because of all these black squares, um, it kind of like drowned the message. So that's what I, you know, I always ask people like read about it before you just follow like a social media trend. I also, you know, remember last summer there was that hashtag like challenge accepted when we were like reposting black and white pictures of other females. And because I was following this of like, okay, before you follow a trend, read about it. And I realized that was um, a cause or like a campaign that had started in Turkey about uh, like elevating uh, violence against women and also uh, homicides against females. And you know, like by the time it made it to the US, it had become this other thing. And like the message had been lost about this campaign that, you know, somebody started in Turkey. And so that's like what I tell people is like social media is a tool. Don't, you know, don't let it, you be strategic about how you use it. I'll, I'll jump in a little bit on this one. Um, so in our campaigns, you know, here in Virginia and now at a national level, we've used a lot of uh, different components of social media and to different effects. Obviously, sometimes it's really successful and sometimes a little bit less so. Um, and it's one thing I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of groups are like, let's do a petition. Like the petition is like the thing. Everybody has to do a petition. Um, and, and to know what that would do for you. In, in my experience, legislators in particular don't really care about your petition. Um, you know, you would think they would. You'd think that, we, you know, we at one point, we had 100,000 people that signed a petition. That's a lot of people, um, but it, nobody cared. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that we learned is, you know, what, what does a petition do for you? You know what a petition does for you? It gets you email addresses of people who agree with you who can then turn into a little army that's mobilized to help you. And so we thought the petition was for one thing, but it turns out the petition was for a whole other thing that we weren't really like, you know, we were letting people opt in because, you know, we didn't believe in just automatically adding them to a list. So it was an option, but, you know, out of a hundred thousand people, we ended up with a list of about 12 to 14,000 people who were very deeply committed to what we were working on. And the minute we started just giving them regular updates, all of a sudden, things start happening because one of the things we did through our you know social media interaction with our community was to just set people free we would set up tools and toolkits and then just say go for it like we you know you can't have everything be you know one general and a million people in the army you really have to have different little groups in different places doing things and the most uh like the, the happy aha moment for me at least was when there's a, there's a part of deep Southwest Virginia called, I think it's called uh, Dutch Gap or uh, something like that. Um, anyway, it's part of the Virginia I've never been to yet. And when they passed a resolution about passing the Equal Rights Amendment in Virginia, and we didn't know anybody there. And all we'd been doing is stirring the pot and stirring the pot and talking to our people through our social media and through our, our mailing lists. Um, all of a sudden, whether you're talking about that little corner of Southwest Virginia, whether we had some stuff happening out kind of by Chincoteague, we didn't know anybody in Chincoteague. And so all of a sudden you find out through your social media efforts that there are a lot of people who share it, share your, your common passions and causes. But if you don't give them um, tools and a thing to do, they will go away. They might, they might believe in what you're doing, but, and they might even, you know, feel happy that you're doing it, but it's a lot of work to make the change. And a lot of people are happy to applaud you along the way. And you do know, need those people because they keep you going. <laughs> like, you know, if you're running the race, you need the people on the sidelines applauding. So you do need all the different uh, components, but what you really need for a lot of change is a whole army, a whole army of people that agree with you. And so if you can use your social media to help build that little army, um, we found that actually the, the email list, like people who want 
kind of a thing like an update or a thing to do about every one to two weeks that is your mobilized group who will do a lot there there's also the keyboard warriors and that's a whole different army to you know kind of turn loose in a different manner um, but you know looking at your different options seeing how you can effectively um, give people something to do in in the way that they can do it um, and, and just really staying in good communication and and then you know as as Claudette was saying, make sure you're lifting up the right voices, make sure that you know what you're, you know, like this thing that you think is this, make sure it's actually that, um, you know, these are really good tips across the board. Um, and, and social media is hard. I mean, I'll tell you our team, we're in a good groove now. Um, we have about five people that talk twice a week to do all the social media. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where we started out and we struggled and we, you know, what are we gonna do on this platform versus that platform versus, you know, they, they each have their own thing. Instagram wants the pretty pictures. Twitter wants a little bit of sarcasm. Facebook, you can have a more in-depth read and kind of knowing how to use each platform and who's there on that platform, what the demographics are, et cetera. Um, and that sounds like, and I'm a consultant in my usual job. That sounds like a lot of consulting talk, like I have a lot of data behind it. I don't, I want everybody to know that. What we have is what works. Like we try this and it works or it doesn't. Okay, if it didn't work, try something else. And because it's also a little bit different week to week, month to month. So just kind of keep trying things and um, you eventually hit a recipe that works. Can I just piggyback off of Katie really quick? Cause I know mm -hmm. you, you have another question. Um, I agree with that. You said a lot of things I wanted to say. I just wanted to add around social media. I know that um, if you are working in a lane where there's like a lot of controversy around that, you know, I know my lane is. So I um, just know for me, my team is a communications team. I think that sometimes in activism work, we will get people who would just show up but you need the people who will show up that have talent and skills in a certain lane where you want to see um, results. And so for Girls for Change, I was very intentional about making sure I had individuals who were skillful in communication so that when we do strategize, they can bring their skills, they can let me know what's new, because just what Katie shared with you, that can get to being overwhelming for you if that is not your thing if you're not a writer because some people say what well, i'm not good at writing or i don't i don't even have an instagram so you know so we i feel like don't feel like you have to do it all but make sure that your team is aware of your voice what is the voice of the organization and once you know your voice then be consistent and be focused and then you will see how all these platforms work because you have the experts on your team that come back and tell you that. So I just wanted to just add that. Don't be afraid to get people that are talented. And Richmond has a lot of gifted people with a lot of skills that are willing to provide that service to you. So you just seek them, you know, find them and see if they want to join your committee to help move your message. I think that's a good way to segue to another question we have from a participant who is um, eager to get some uh, practical advice about how to do some of this kind of advocacy work from home. Um, have you all developed some new strategies? Are there any kind of advocacy hacks that you've discovered during our long months of, of working from home? And any of the panelists can jump in on this one. Um, I mean, for me, uh, yeah, that was one of the challenges because I wanted to be out and doing protests, but my husband has an autoimmune disease, so the safest thing for me was to stay home. Um, and so just like learning, you know, I, I one of the main things for me is to be connect, even though we have to be socially distanced, to be connected with other advocates and just realize what's happening out there. Um, and not just do it through social media, but like if you know people or like reach out. Um, I think for me, it's like, okay, there's, I, for me, it's like kind of hard because I feel like advocacy and like serving my community kind of, it's like both. Like, so I love what I, a lot of what I've been doing is like mobilizing resources for immigrant community or like just kind of um, 
sharing information and equipping them to, you know, have access to that will help them in this really difficult time. Um, but I think there is all like so many volunteering opportunities that you can research. You know, like I have friends that were doing um, from their home, they were training for the polls or, you know, like they were doing running trainings for 100, 150 people uh, to run the polls. Um, you, people were writing letters uh, to Georgia voters. Um, you know, you can always tutor or like be involved with one family. And, you know, that's when like, for me, it's always like connected to like building relationships and that that's what keeps me grounded. So I, I do a lot of like that type of, you know, like I'm trying to, for example, like hear what the immigrant and low income community is happening so I can, you know, have that information and share it at my work or like share it with other churches or just to say like, okay, this is what is happening out there. And for me, it's like, you know, staying connected with my community through, you know, text, WhatsApp, calling on Facebook and just asking people, for me, it's like checking on them and saying like, what do you need? Like what is happening? And, and that's why also like, I'm really grateful for my job because we're in, you know, I work at a pretty large school district. So, you know, like I, I feel grateful that my voice and what I'm hearing, you know, can impact uh, decisions that are happening. You know, um, it was like pretty crazy because pretty early on, I was like running just a group for um, Latinx moms. And I was so surprised, it caught me off guard, but from the beginning they were like, I am not sending my kid to school. I am not until they're vaccinated. And like we all, when we were talking about going back to school, um, that was something that I was like, oh, I, I never would have thought that, you know, the, the immigrant, parents were like, no, like I want my kids safe. I don't want to die. And so like things like that, like find ways um, that you can do safely from home. There's a lot of resources and opportunities that match your skills and your passions. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on this one also. I, I think, um, especially if you have a smaller team, you know, you can do a lot of things over Zoom. Um, you can have a free Zoom account for up to 40 minutes. And so you might have a 30 minute, you know, sit down, pound through a few things, take an hour or two off and you can each work a little bit separately and get back together and that's free. Um, a, lot of, a lot of organizing gets done on a shoestring. Um, so, you know, kind of knowing what your free and easy to use tools are. Um, a lot of people might use FaceTime because they happen to have, that's their kind of phone that can do that sort of thing. Um, and, and so like find your tools, find your team, whether your team is two people or 10 people or a hundred people, it doesn't matter. Um, you find your tools, you find your, your team. The next thing you want to do is you want to figure out your messaging and you got to get everybody on the same page as the messaging and the messaging will evolve because you'll run into other things and somebody will give you some more feedback and such. So obviously the messaging will evolve, but to kind of get started, you want to get that messaging figured out. And once you kind of figure out your messaging, then you have to do something. You have to do something that lets you bring in other people. You're gonna kind of take your, your joyful, we're gonna change the world, that joyful energy and, and do something that, that really invites other people in, um, whether it's crowdsourcing for a billboard, whether it is we're gonna do a postcard campaign, whether it's we're gonna stand on the street corner and we're gonna make a lot of noise about this issue that is not going to go away because we're not going away. Um, whatever it is for you, you have to kind of like get the message, get, I actually am a big fan of graphics. I think people are very visual. Um, I think you gotta get kind of the look, the feel, the message, and, and that can be done with a small team. And then from there, you can kind of start to build it back out, make it bigger. Um, we do use Canva. I think I saw that go by in the chat. Um, we use Canva, we had a free account, and then one day we needed the stock photos. So we pay whatever it is, $12 a month or something. Um, so there are a couple of tools that just, you know, whether it's the Zoom account and the Canva and everything else is free, um, you know, that's kind of about, we, we have done a lot of organizing with just those two tools. <laughs> so, um, you know, cause the, the social media platforms are free. 
Um, MailChimp is free up to about 2000 people. And after that, it gets crazy expensive really fast. Um, I highly recommend Action Network. If you have kind of a progressive cause of social change, um, that is an amazing organizing tool that is generally free. And then if you start ramping up after that, it's super cheap um, with amazing tool set. Um, so Action Network, and I think it's actionnetwork.org. Don't go to .com, that's a whole different thing. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of great tools out there. There's great organizer training. Um, and, and honestly, I, I got a little ping from Action Network the other day that just because we happen to have an Action Network account, then they do organizer trainings and those are free. So, you know, kind of build your skill sets, build your team, um, build your uh, invitations to the world around you because to make a change. Sometimes you can do it with just a couple of people and, and or you can plug into a change that's already happening that other people are already organizing. But other times you see something that other people haven't seen um, and, and you just have to kind of go after it like with like the, what's the saying a dog with a bone. You have to be the dog with the bone um, because nobody else is picking up that bone and running with it and you got to do it. Um, but it, it can be done. It can be done virtually. I'll tell you one key tip. This is an amazing opportunity during a pandemic. You can meet with people in offices without having to go to downtown Richmond to talk to the General Assembly. Um, we have met with the South Carolina staff and then turned around and had another call with North Carolina staff and we didn't have to go anywhere. Um, if you want to be talking to people at the federal level, if you want to talk to people at the state level, if you want to talk to the people in the city level, you can do all of that from your house with a Zoom link. Um, and so just kind of figuring out like, who am I gonna partner with? Does somebody else already have a Zoom account? Do I really have to get the $15 a month account or can we keep everything to half an hour for free? <laughs> so, you know, just kind of doing those things and just figuring it out a step at a time and it'll build on itself and it'll be amazing. And um, that, uh, that also, prompts me to remind everybody that um, if you registered for this program, you got sent a, um, a kind of takeaway document that includes some resources um, where you can go to learn more about some of these steps um, and uh, some of these resources. Uh, well, um, gosh, this hour just flew by. <laughs> I'm a little sad to say we're at at our time, uh, we're at eight o'clock, but um, I want to thank all of the participants for joining us. I especially want to thank our three panelists for sharing their insights, their experiences, and their personal stories with us. Um, I hope that this program has given you some ideas, given you some inspiration for your own advocacy work, and maybe we can't, you know, run outside and um, join a parade or join the meeting, but as Katie said, you can kind of Zoom with, with anyone with an internet link, um, regardless of where, where you are, so um, please um, go ahead and uh, and take that inspiration. And um, for taking the next step, um, uh, we'd love to have you type in the chat um, a response to our, our little take a step pledge. If you'd like to tell us what you're committed to do after tonight's program, go ahead and put that in the chat box. Um, I also, before closing, want to ask you all to mark your calendar for our next program in this Activism at Home series. On Thursday, April 1st, we'll be hosting an online virtual workshop called Spring Into Action. And um, that is going to um, be a workshop in which we break up into groups and we'll um, pair you up with others who share your interests, who share your passions, who share your cause. So you'll be able to have focused conversations and work on building your advocacy network and um, brainstorming ideas and sharing strategies and um, uh, tips for your own activism. So I hope that you will join us for that. Um, should be posted on our website soon. So um, return to the museum's website for more in information about that April 1st program. And our website is virginiahistory.org. So again, thank you everyone so much for joining us this evening. And um, please all stay safe. And um, if you're
sick and tired of being sick and tired, as Fannie Lou Hamer said so famously, and as Angela repeated tonight, I hope you'll um, go out and um, do some great work. So thanks again. Take care and good night.